I just wanted to like in the beginning give like a super quick intro of like what is a tool because I think when we think about tools we might think about like a wrench I hope that like a young kid isn't holding a wrench like this and doing anything too crazy with it because um I know myself when I was like eight I was trying to use a tool which was a toaster to warm up a waffle in a restaurant and I got my hand like horribly burned during that and have been somewhat scarred and I don't too often make waffles for myself uh, because of it. Tools, even on the internet, can still be complicated. We don't want anyone to get scarred. I don't think you'll burn your hand using software. That would be really weird, but you can definitely get caught in rabbit holes, use something that ends up taking a lot of your time, might end up costing too much money, and ultimately end up not solving the problems we want, which in that moment, I wanted to like eat a waffle and feel full in the morning. And instead I started crying. So we don't want to cry today. And that's why we'll go over what a tool is supposed to do, which is help us solve problems. That's super broad though. And for us here, we're interested in solving a very specific set of problems because we're authors who are presumably like not everyone has to have a subscription. In fact, I myself don't have a subscription at the moment. Amelia does. When Ream comes out, I'll be launching mine, but I've been learning a lot from everyone and have plenty of ideas about how I'll approach that. But we came up with some problems that we think a lot of us face, but I also want people to read through this. I'll go through this and start thinking about some problems that we face that might not be listed here because we like purposely didn't want to list every single little problem that we all face as authors, especially when it comes to subscriptions. But I think it's great for us to like chat about that because it's really important for us to share with each other the problems we have, because sometimes we don't know that we're going to face a problem until someone else tells us like, hey, look out for that. But one thing that we know is a big problem is scheduling. Um, depending on the platform you use, it can take a lot of time to schedule posts. It could be confusing based on like early access between different tiers. Maybe someone's supposed to get one chapter a week before the other, and you also are releasing maybe 15 chapters in a month and takes up a lot of time and can be a lot of mental bandwidth. Also in terms of like your actual writing schedule, that's sometimes not easy to figure out too, because we're used to, okay, let's write a book and release it on whatever date we're releasing it on. But presumably if you're doing subscriptions, a very common model is to be serializing your work, which we actually sent out a newsletter today about why that can be a really good thing with subscriptions. Amelia did a great job on that. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's a common problem. Another one's community management which Amelia is going to really be diving deep into because last time on this call, she like mentioned her AI chatbot in her discord group. And people were like, Whoa, what is that? You need to dive in deeper. And we're like, okay, we'll do it. So that's what she's doing here. Another one's file delivery. When I say that people might think, especially if you're like in the author community, something like book funnel is being a solution to that. So we can dive into all of that and things that you might need with file delivery, especially if a place like, you know, your subscription platform doesn't like what you're posting there, but you still want to deliver it to your readers, a lot of us have faced that problem. So that's one. Another one's promotion of subscription, which is like super big. It's a super big thing, but it's also like really important because if you have a subscription, but no one there, uh, it's not very useful because uh, it's nice for us to be able to make a living doing what we love to do. So that's important. Another big one are just these questions that you might not think of it like as a tool being able to solve this, but I think tools really can. How much should I charge? It's a common question authors have. What should my rewards be? These are just like big questions that 
when we're kind of operating in like the ebook retailer mindset, although there's definitely are considerations, there's definitely no rewards, there's no tiers. And on the price point, there's a lot of like more proven models that at least we can look to other authors and be like, okay, I want to do first in series free. I want to do my first at 99 cents. Maybe I want to do 499 across the board. Someone like Jillian Dodd, who um, she posted this like amazing thing years ago in the, I think SPF community that I've never forgotten about pricing psychology and how for her, she found that it was more successful and profitable to price her romance books at 9.99 as an ebook, which is not very common. It's not a common price point, but there was a whole psychology behind that. And that stuck with me years later. So sometimes the prices that we charge attract different readers. And those are all big questions. And then another one's analytics management, which is just like, okay, we're now using like 10 different platforms to like make our life work as writers. How the heck do we like make sure that we're not spending like four hours a day signing into dashboards, but still know what's going on with their business? So these are just some common problems that we've identified, but I want to hear from everyone here. What are some problems that you face when it comes to your subscription or just your author business in general? This could even be a problem you face as a reader as well, because if you're able to, in the process of your subscription and how you interact with your readers, solve like a problem for your readers, maybe your readers like hate sideloading something, or maybe your readers don't like this certain thing about Amazon. If you're able to make that better for them, it's probably a good thing for you too. So anyways, opening up the floor, share any problems you face related to your subscription or author career in general. Don't be shy. There's no right or wrong answers. We can <laughs> all, all right, have I'm gonna, problems. I'm going to jump in. Nice to meet you, Michael and Amelia. Um, a lurker and definitely a big fan of what you guys are doing. So hello. <laughs> I feel like we've met before, Christopher, because I feel like we've had so much conversations in the Facebook group. I was so oh, excited. Thank you. Thank you. The feeling is mutual, but you're kind of famous on YouTube. So, oh, that um, is not true. <laughs> <laughs> so, I definitely resonate with your list here. Um, I think that that for me, the ones that stand out right away are serializing viability, or I should say, serializing and its viability. Um, I'm definitely working through what to charge hypothetically in my models. And I have several models on several spreadsheets at the moment. Um, and I should preface all of this by saying I am strongly considering what I will say is an inevitable move to a subscription model, whether that is all in or that is a supplement to what I'm doing. Um, and the third one would be file delivery because I've spoken with Jamie over at Book Funnel. And he was he was like, man, I we don't really have a serial delivery mechanism. Um, and I do use BookFunnel a lot for things that are, again, self-contained novellas or full novels. So having, you know, if I did ebook, 52 weeks of it and 52 weeks of audio, that's 104 items, <laughs> not only in my readers' book funnel accounts, but my book funnel dashboard times however many years I want to commit to this. So that's definitely problematic. Um, so anyway, yeah, I I love all these, but those are the three that stood out as you as you brought them up. I don't know if anybody else reflects on them, but that's where I'm at. I think that's that's something I worry a lot about for myself, like. I don't want to be sending out like dozens and dozens of things each year that end up taking a lot of time, like just scheduling like a single newsletter 
like even if you've like written it in a Google doc, just to draft it and format it and whatever your like email service provider is for me, that like takes time. It doesn't take a ton of time, but it takes like 20 minutes. And if I'm now doing that, like multiple times each week, yeah, I'm quickly seeing how that adds up. So I'm, I'm with you there. And I agree that um, at least right now, there's not like an amazing solution to like serial delivery. Um, I do think that's something that folks are, are working on with these specific tools. And I, I think we'll be able to maybe dive into some ways that that can maybe be helped along for you. But I'm curious for, for others, uh, what do other people feel are problems that they face when it comes to descriptions or just being an author interacting with technology in general, because we know that can be complicated. Um, in the chat, there's um, Terry said about uh, the number of files. She's like just agreeing, juggling all the files is really hard. And then Tabitha says um, logging into like a bunch of different platforms and dashboards and just having all like, I'm assuming having all that login information and constantly just like, it's it's all over the place. It's not one one area where it's easy. Oh, and promotion. I feel you on the promotion. You know, there was something that Patreon did and they have now like 250,000 creators on their platform. And there's very limited data, as we all know, just on like indie authors in general, never mind like subscriptions because it's more of even a newer thing. And a lot of times uh, platforms kind of keep these things gated, but they did have a survey that they released the results of. And they found in their creator census that the most successful creators are highly correlated promoting their subscription uh, to their fans each week, which already that's like a big thing. And there were some people even who every day promoted it and they found that that was a really good thing, but then you're promoting it every day and that takes time as well. Um, never mind, like how do you promote it and where? Well, that, and sorry, I'm just going to jump in. That could be like, if you are like releasing and serialized content, like that could literally just be like, Hey, read this next chapter on my subscription at the very end of the chapter. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I, I found at least to market um, through social media, like market your subscription through social media. Um, especially if you're not offering, like, I know some people who are doing really good in subscriptions and they're marketing through social media if they have like artwork, but as, as writers, we don't usually have artwork to offer our, our subscribers. So, yeah. Yeah, the figuring out what would resonate with my readers in a Patreon and Patreon rewards, that's that's a big question. And that's something that I I personally like want to, it's time for all of us, right? Like I want to like make a list of like here are like the we already made like a list of like a hundred authors that are doing well in descriptions, which is far from comprehensive. And actually with some help from people in the community, I think we'll be updating and it'll be like maybe 125 now, but it's still far from comprehensive, but I'd love to like do an analysis of all of their tiers broken down by genre and then see like what rewards are working just with public data that we can see. Cause to me, that's really interesting to see like, what are like broad trends and subscriptions that like readers are used to and that they might be more receptive to if, if you provided that. So yeah, but if the newsletter base wants thing A and I build my subscriptions on thing B, then I've set myself to build a whole new audience. What do you think about that, Amelia? Because you're someone who didn't start necessarily inscriptions. You built an audience through serials and then very early on you started a subscription, but it wasn't like they found your subscription first of all. So what do you think about Terry's comment there? Um, 
So I, I don't, I, well, I think it depends. Like, I don't know if I would particularly use that just because like, if you already have like a newsletter audience, you want, like you want them to either buy your books or to subscribe to you monthly. And so you want to give them the content that they want to basically buy every single month. Um, so for me, for like specifically, I would probably continue to provide that thing A, um, but just give them earlier access to the thing A and then like drip it down each, each like newsletter that you send out. I think I'm, am I like getting that correctly? Um, what you mean by thing A and thing B? Well, th this goes back to um, Heather's comment about if trying to get more interaction with like your current like newsletter subscribers or your Facebook fans or whatever it is and not getting that. And so it's sort of like this black hole mm -hmm. of like, what do you want? And so then when you try to launch a subscription service, it feels like throwing darts at a dartboard because you don't kind of have that market research of what your current fans or subscribers want. And so then it's like, okay, I'm going to pick a thing that yeah. I can deliver. I don't know if it's what will convert your newsletter subscribers to Patreon subscribers. And if not, then I have to go out and find people that want the thing I'm offering on Patreon, or I have to switch what I'm offering on Patreon to meet my newsletter subscribers who are giving yeah. me no feedback whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, usually what I found is when you first start like a subscription or like interacting with your subscribers more like intimately people tend to be quiet in the beginning like very quiet and you you have no idea what they want um so it's at least for me it was a lot of trial and error and sometimes i'll still like i'll start a new project and people are people don't comment on it at all um but then like after like a few weeks after like it starts going I get more interaction. So it could definitely be um, just, it's new for people, but I do agree with like monthly polls. I think that's a really good idea, Dove. I think Dove suggested that. I also think on the um, email email point, because why we do this live is that we can like create this live with y'all. Like we're not trying to like, say we have like th this agenda that we are doing each minute. I want yeah. to want to talk about that right now. Um, I also think we should, do something specifically like uh, one of these where we just dive into that one thing because it's so big. But I think this is a good time to like take a pause. Let's talk about email and subscribers because we all know that like newsletters are really important, but also like we hear that a lot. And I just first want to say for anyone here who's like going like, what is this? Why is it really important? Having an email list, your actual emails of your customers is about the only real personal identifying data point that we as creators can easily get about our audience on the internet. It's really the only direct way that we can connect to them. There's, you know, lots of pie in the sky ideas and things coming in technology in a pipeline, maybe over the next 20 years that might change that. And that's, that's the future. But today, like emails are kind of worth gold, but it's not like every email is worth the same thing. Ultimately, it's the relationship that matters. Like to get a list of like a million random emails wouldn't really mean much if you just had access to that. Go, I have a million people on my email list. I don't know who they are. They don't know me, but I can send them an email. But that email, if you have a relationship with that person and then a direct way to contact them, 
it's basically like having a hundred friends in your phone number that you can put them all in a group chat and text them easily without having to knock on each of their houses to interact with them. So it saves you a lot of time and can help you build closer relationships at scale. A way that we call that is like parasocial relationships. But, you know, the big question really before you even have that newsletter list, right, is how is someone getting to that newsletter list? Like, what is that? How are you segmenting it? Because I know very popular, and I, I think these are great services, and I like the people who work on these services, things like Story Origin, list builders like that. They can be great, but if your list is full of Story Origin people, how you interact with them will look very different than if yeah. they're people who've read one of your books, gone to the back, and signed up with nothing free, like what we could call like a pure list, just people who love you. So that's, if you use like Mark Dawson, I've taken all of his courses. I'm not, this is not like trying to promote his courses. I'm just saying they're, they're decent. I've taken them. He talks a lot about Facebook ads and building a newsletter list through Facebook ads. That's something you can do, but that's a different kind of audience, different relationship that you have to someone than even a list builder. And even something like coming into the back of your book. So I, I guess this is to say like, for everyone here, how are you bringing people to your mailing list? Because before we can talk about what to do with it, we have to talk about like, who is actually there? Yeah. Um, I actually, um, Tabitha asked, so if, uh, do you have separate um, newsletters for your subscribers and your regular um, like ebook readers? I, I'm just going to pop in and say I do. I I like separate it up into like um, ebook readers, free pre book readers, where you get where you get um, emails from like Book Funnel or um, any of those websites, as well as subscription readers. And they all get a different email every single week from me. Um, and then I separate it out even more to people who are um, like actually like interacting with my content um, regularly and people who aren't opening up emails regularly. Um, sorry, I'm going through all these comments as I'm trying to, trying to talk. Um, but going off of what Michael said, um, one, somebody asked about like actually having a subscription funnel, um, and how to like start that because a lot of people just have, um, ebook readers on their newsletter list. And something that I've been playing with recently is, I'm re currently releasing a um, series. It's like a high school romance series. Um, and I'm on book four comes out next year. But I basically told everyone in the back of book three, like, hey, if you want to read the next book for free, um, you can join my newsletter list and you get one chapter every single week. And after, at the end of that chapter, like that's starting to like serialize those readers. So at the end of that chapter, I'm like, okay, so you can wait to next week to read the next chapter if you want to read it for free, or you can read the entire book now if you join my subscription. So it's like slowly progressing those people from ebook readers to readers who are on your newsletter list, you have their email and you're serializing to them. So that's one way. Interesting. Can I, can I jump in? Of course, yeah. anyone could jump uh, in anytime. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> um, so th that's fascinating, Amelia. And I, so my approach, uh, so I'm in the science fiction, mill sci-fi, space opera um, genre. And one of the things I noticed that a lot of my peers do is the, they're just trying to gather as many emails as they can. And mm -hmm. so they've cultivated 10, 20, 30, 40, 
50,000 people on their mailing lists, and yet their open rates are extremely low um, and probably fitting most industry standards. I decided very early on that I actually wanted to subvert that and make it more difficult for people to subscribe. Um, it's done two things, though. It's been very slow. Uh, however, however, my open rate and my engagement rate is like 80, 85 percent. Wow. And, wow. and, and, and so, and it's developed like the newsletter is not this generic, just broad thing that's nebulous. And I may or may not get responses. Like these have been core fans, like super fans, because you have to click two places on my website to get to the newsletter sign up. And then every field is required, which which is a purposeful filter to, to, because I want you, if you're going to be on this and I'm going to spend money on you and you get a free poker chip, you get a custom autographed card, you get a collector's card from me, like it's stickers, it's a whole kit and it's all free plus 10% off in the store and a free short story. That's a lead magnet and all this stuff. But the point was that I, I decided I wanted to make it difficult so that when you did sign up, you, the reader knew what they were getting and I knew it, what I was getting. Um, and now three years in, I would say that I'm starting to reap the, the benefits of that and seeing the kind of the core community and the passionate readers. And, and now as I'm looking at like, and I'm devouring everything you guys are putting out, I'm like, okay, this subscription thing, this is the kind of thing, like even early, early polls, I just pulled a, a handful of of my fans and and on discord i haven't even gone to my private facebook groups because i don't it's almost like i don't want to let the cat out of the bag before i'm convinced i can do this and and i'm still not convinced but i'm getting there um but the response has been overwhelming like wow su surprisingly overwhelming so i'm just i don't know if i can make it you know what kind of conversion rates do i need what kind of buy-in do I need? What is What are those key price points? And what am I offering? What's what's simply early access, which is free. I can do that in my sleep. But what's con new content that I actually need to put hours in per week and create um, both, both in text and audio? So I don't know, just, yeah, it's the, the, the newsletter thing. I'll, I guess I'm circling back to su summarize and say, it's, it's, it's the thing. It's, it is the only thing we own for, for user data. That's ours. And I have, I use Wix. Um, I'm a big Wix proponent and Google spreadsheets with all, like I enter stuff by hand now because I'll call up, I'll just randomly call up my readers when they subscribe, like, Hey, thank you so much for my, for joining my VIP list. They're like, what the hell are you? Wow. This is you? I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I? We're both people. I just want you to know how grateful I am. And oh, for real, true story. That sculpture was just sent to me by a brand new VIP guy who freaked out that I called him. He's a mechanic on Apache helicopters in Alabama, loves my stuff. And he just like, he bought every t-shirt in my store and he sends this to me. And I'm like, dude, this is so, this is what I want. This oh, is the connection God. I'm longing for. So yeah, yeah, I'll shut up. No, no, don't that's shut really up. cool. This yeah. is incredibly <laughs> inspiring. Like that, that is like all of the signs of like everything really working for you. That is beautiful. And you know, <laughs> you're talking about with subscriptions, um, something I, I think is really uh 
really like something I identify in authors that I'm like, I have that temptation, but I'm not always sure it's the best, which is you're always, you're already contemplating like what extra things can I do? How can I make this subscription so amazing from day one? And I think that it's better to maybe start small. Like instead of thinking about what extra hours can I put into the subscription and in one day make this big shift, like you said, you know, you're having this maybe, as you call it, inevitable shift towards subscriptions. That's how you feel about it. I feel very similarly about my own author business. A lot of us probably feel that way. And if that's true, you don't have to make the full shift overnight or make your final decision. It's sometimes better just to launch and continue getting data, really conversations with your readers about how it's going. So if you start early access and people are liking it, and then someone goes, I would really like if you had a bonus short story. And then you go, uh, okay, what, what does that look like? And then you could talk to them and you're like, oh, okay, cool. And this person's already paying five, $10 a month, whatever it is. So I guess they're willing to pay more. And then you could even ask them, like you could literally come up with a fake page. And what, what some people do, this is something that happens a lot in the world of like startups, people who are like starting their own business online. And as authors, although we have our own business online, we don't actually have to like, if you're in KU and Amazon, you're not really having to worry about like, actually like a lot of the business components, Amazon offloads that for you and then takes a lot of the profits and creates this like really competitive system in which authors have to, we all know what it is. You get half a penny per page rack. So anyways, that that's a path and that's fine. But if you want to take ownership of it yourself, then you're going to have to figure out, okay, let me do this AB testing. So you, then you could come up with a landing page. This is a crazy idea, but like the poll that someone mentioned earlier on that landing page is a poll and it can be like, okay, what, what is have $20 on this one and see how people click it and then put $15 on the next one and see how people click it and say, I'm just testing things I haven't launched yet. And then if no one clicks $20, but more people click the $15 one, if you like AB test it with your list, then, you know, I mean, this is like, that's just an idea. Like we can go on for days about AB testing and price points and things like that. But yeah, I think it's really important to like, start slow and continually iterate and don't overwhelm yourself during it. Like if you burn yourself out in subscription, you know, it's okay to burn yourself out in books and say, I have that one series out. I'm going to run some extra Facebook ads to it. Life is good. But if you burn yourself out of subscription, you can take breaks. That's all good. But if you take a break for a year, your fans may be like, y'all like what you're, you're back now after all yeah. that time. Yeah. Okay. So this is, and, and maybe a question for Amelia in here too, Hidden, if I get there. This is very, very helpful and very comforting because I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about the value exchange that, that we're making. And I re you know, I'm, playing, I'm playing through my head of, wait a second, my readers know they can get all my books a lot cheaper than even the lowest tier that I'm offering on a monthly level. So they're already, to, to even do this, they are saying, I want to support you and I know I'm spending more money to do it. That's a big deal to me as a creator. Yeah. And, and I want to, my natural impetus is to reward that by doing something more that costs me more than I already have presently invested. And I put out between four and 530,000 word novels a year. And I'm very systematic. I have daily word counts and now I'm starting to audio narrate. So everything is, is by the book, like OCD. 
And I'm going, okay, can I put in a serialized story now that's delivered? It's written on a Monday, edited on a Tuesday, recorded on a Wednesday, and delivered print and audio on a Friday. And I'm thinking through all that stuff at the same time that I'm thinking, I make six figures with the algorithm, and I don't like it. And I'm convinced there's a better way to do this. Um, And it's scary. Right. It's because it's my I have four kids and a mortgage and vehicles. This is my job. This isn't a hobby for me. So I'm going I'm coming here like I've got to make this work. And. Am I cannibalizing momentum on those platforms by dipping my toes in these waters? Um, so I'm very curious, like and Amelia, I know you you're like the queen here. So um, I, I I welcome like. I don't know if anything I'm saying relates to you at all, or if you're oh, like, yeah, I feel your pain. And and Michael, I appreciate what you're saying too. Like, take it slow. Like, maybe Christopher, you don't have to add two more books to the annual calendar as serialized fiction. Like, go easy, right? So I don't know. I'm I'm verbally throwing up on you, and I really appreciate your graciousness right now. Yeah. So like, actually, that relates a lot to me because when I started, um, I. When, at least when I started subscriptions, because that's the first thing I dove into before I even published an ebook, I was like, nobody is going to pay for this. Like that was my thought for months and months and months. And I was like, nobody's going to pay for this. I'm not even going to start it. And then my husband, he like pushed me. He was like, no, you should start it. Like there's so many people who are reading your story for free. I, I was publishing on Wattpad, uh, which is like a free serial platform. And he was like, so many people are reading it for free. If everyone paid you like a dollar just to read the rest of the story, you're gonna, you would make a lot of money. But I still, I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing this. And then one day he finally convinced me and I opened my subscription and he was actually my first subscriber. And I didn't know that, but it kind of like gave me the confidence to like, be like, wow, this, this could be done. Like I could, I could do this um, without giving my, my like, paid subscribers anything more than what I was delivering on Wattpad. Like it, it's this, they could wait, they like, they could wait and read the book for free if they wanted to, or they can hop over to my subscription and get one, I think it was one extra chapter at the time per week. And that was it. And people started joining and I was like, oh, like this is kind of weird, but like kind of cool too. Like they want to read the chapter so bad and they want to read my content so bad that they don't mind paying a little bit extra per per month. So I totally get that. And you could definitely like, I don't think you need to publish like two extra books through serial format every single year in order to get some people following you or subscribing to you. Okay. Well, that's very comforting. <laughs> I want to share an example as well uh, from a very prominent author who we've talked about a lot only because he is the most successful fiction author on the planet in subscriptions as far as we know. Um, the average price tier that he's at is at this $10 tier. And he has $6,500 a month. So he's making an absurd amount of money, almost seven figures a year now in subscriptions. But that's not my point. My point to you is actually that he's in KU. So there's nothing wrong with being KU. You could utilize KU and subscriptions at the same time. I myself have this battle because as I'm getting ready to, I think like relaunch my fiction career, because I kind of had like a, 
I don't know what you call it, quarter life, fifth life crisis. And hooray, go, um, go. <laughs> I did YouTube and live streaming, all this stuff. And now I'm like, okay, we're back to fiction. I was always in KU. That's where I made my money. That's how I got up to five figures a year doing that, which isn't crazy money, but it was huge success for me at the time. And I got burnt out in that, but I still battle with it. And I don't have an answer to even right now to say like, oh, will I go back in KU or not? Like, I know I'm going to have a subscription, but like, am I ready to like make a jump out of KU? Like my heart says, yes. My heart says I want to go and build something from the ground up different. But if I was in your position and was already like making six figures in KU, there's no way I would jump overnight. Like I'm just giving you my honest advice. I also don't have kids. I don't have cars to pay at the moment. Like I, I'm in a different position in my life and I still would have a lot of trouble making that decision. But let's look at someone who's maybe having the best of both worlds. So he has all these people on his Patreon. You might think he's making you know a lot of money on that. Is he cannibalizing himself? Well, his book ranking, and this is a book that's been out for quite a while now, is very high. It's doing very well. And the audiobook's very similar. And this is, it's literary PG. And it's a very specific genre. And this is a very common model in that genre. He was not the first to pioneer this. Uh, I think Michael Chatfield was actually one of the first. And we had it on the pod. And he's a good friend, amazing person. But I think this like convention, the genre of saying, we're going to serialize the fiction, right? And then we're going to have give people early access to it. And then, yeah, six or seven months later, when I'm actually done writing the book, these big tomes that is apparent in literary PG, you can then get it on a retailer. Typically, most of these people are Audible exclusive and Amazon exclusive and eBooks, so basically just Amazon. And you can buy it later. And that's for a cheaper price, presumably, than the subscription. And this kind of functions as a top of funnel for them because they're super fans when they love them enough, just really want to support them. And this guy clearly is selling way more than 7,000 copies of this book. Like this book sold hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies, maybe even a million, but he did get a certain percentage of them, definitely non-negligible to be now paying him an average of $10 a month. And that is a huge difference. I mean, and he's, and he's worked hard at it. He spent years investing in it. And interestingly, you say the $10 price point, Michael, because uh, when I've polled, I, I told you I pulled some some of my readers just initially, like just throwing it out there, guys, if I did this and $10 across the board was the most popular. So that's interesting that it resonates just a little a little data to uh, to validate your statement there. It's uh, or I guess Travis's experience. That's that's what I've seen, too. It's, it's super interesting. Yeah. I, that's really cool to hear from you. It's something that like, it feels scary, like actually even like asking a reader for that amount of money. Cause like we put it in the newsletter today and it's true, like $10 to get access to one author you love or $10 for a million books. And I can say that. And I, myself as a consumer have subscribed to authors and been very happy with that purchase. But like as an author yourself to them be like, Oh, my readers are going to feel that way about me. Like I can feel that way about someone else, but then putting my mind into my readers and thinking someone will feel that way about me does feel like a huge jump. So I totally get where you're coming from. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And Heather, love the best of both worlds. And I, I think you have the right mindset, right? If Amazon shuts you down and they could shut anyone down, it's important to have your own space. And ultimately in the long run, it, it gives you more flexibility to have that space of direct connection. So it's, it's, it's like not even only a hedge, it's like investing in the future of where this is going. Cause um, a lot of people don't like Amazon and we'll see where that keeps going. But each year people like Amazon less and less 10 or 15 years from now, will Amazon be the number one retailer? 
that's an open question. I'm not sure. I definitely wouldn't put all my money in that. So yeah, but you don't have to be out of KU to utilize descriptions. I think that's the beauty of it because the idea of like the eggs and basket thing, like KU versus Y, if you're already making money in KU, going wide could really hurt you. But wide is a potential to maybe hedge yourself more, but not even really build a direct relationship. Subscriptions come in and enable you to have another revenue stream that doesn't doesn't like literally violate your other one. So it could it could be better. But I want to flip it back to Amelia now and have Amelia go through some of the things that she uses to run her subscription successfully. Yeah. Okay. So I'm actually, so I have a Patreon. Um, I'm going to, do I have access to share my screen? Oh, I always forget to do this. Um, advanced sharing options. Oh, yeah. You can share now. Okay, cool. So can you see my screen? Let's see. Okay, perfect. So one of the tools that I have, um, so I, when people join my subscription, when I first started, one of the things I did was I messaged every single person like the day after they subscribed. And I was like, hey, thank you so much for joining. Let me know if you need anything. And it was getting to the point where I, every morning on the bus, I was like messaging like tens, tens of people. And it was very overwhelming. Um, so this is one of the tools I use now. I set it up I set up an automation through MailerLite, which is my subscription uh, or my, my newsletter subscription platform. Um, and so I have, I'm going to say this word wrong, Zapper, Zapier, Zapier. <laughs> um, it takes all of my subscribers from Patreon and it like grabs their emails and moves them over to my newsletter list. And it starts automating that process for me. So any automations I can do uh, make my life so much easier. So I have that one. Um, this is, has really, really, really helped me. I actually just started it like a couple of days ago, but it's helped me a lot. Um, another thing. So one of the big uh, problems I have is keeping my Patreon organized. Um, right now I write in serial. So chapters are all over the place. Um, and they were all over the place for my subscribers as well. So I created this master list Google Doc, and it literally has all my chapters to all my books. Um, I update it monthly. So people can go in, people who are new can go in and click a link and it'll bring them right to those set of chapters. And once my book is actually like published in like ebook formats on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever, I will have a link to um, book funnel and I'll put that in the post as well. I don't put the um, book funnel link specifically in this master list just because I don't want people sharing the master list and other people who are not subscribed able to download the book for free because that can happen. Um, so yeah. These are probably the two biggest things I use just to manage my, my uh, subscription. But I also have um, a Discord. I don't know if I could share my Discord. Um, um, let me. I think you, if you click share, sc share screen, there is an option to potentially okay. share an app, I think. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, 
So I'm gonna go through my Discord and then I'll show you guys the, a lot of people are interested in the bots that I use. So I'll go through that after. Um, this is my Discord. I honestly think Discord is so much easier um, than Facebook groups. And it's so much cleaner because Facebook groups, for me, at least they're like very sporadic and you get like messages about some posts and some posts are like completely hidden for other people. Um, but Discord's kind of a lot easier because you can set it up in channels. Um, so I have a channel for all of my stories and people can just like jump into the channel and start talking about the story. And if you like miss a couple messages, the channel will kind of like be folded in this white color. So you can go there and see everything about it. But also Discord has just implemented this Thing. I don't even know what to call it. Um, it's like a forum discussion like Facebook groups. So you kind of get like the best of both worlds in here. Um, so what I do in my Discord is I do a lot of polls. Um, so I have just different polls that people can vote on. Uh, this one in particular was like vote for a mascot in my book um, and they can react to the post and vote that way, I guess. Um, Another thing we have is like an introduction section. That's super cool, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I try to like make the Discord as like community based as possible um, and, and try to get people like kind of have like more intimate relationships with each other and not just, they're not just there. Um, so they have like, we have like an introduction section where people can introduce each other or themselves. Um, people can input their birthdays in this bot that I have. It's called Purity. They'll say happy birthday to the person when it's their birthday. Um, there's a section for questions, giveaways, um, self-assigned roles. So I can basically see where people are reading or like what people are reading on and where they've come from. So if they read on Patreon, they can react to this, this, um, question and when they react to the question it basically assigns them that role so a reader might say like oh I read on Patreon so every time I mention Patreon in my discord they pretty much get notified so if I say like hey guys I just posted a new chapter on Patreon those people who have clicked I read on Patreon will get notified of that so it's a really good way to like be able to basically just message the people that you need to be messaged or you need to message for certain announcements. And then you could do the same thing, trying to find out which stories people have read. And if you have any um, announcements on those stories, you can just tag the story and they'll get notified. If, if, and if you guys have any questions as I go through this, just let me know. Um, I don't know if I want to go into the not safe for work channel um, because there's a lot of not safe for work stuff, but I'm going to have to probably go through it for um, my talk to the alpha channel. So just be prepared. If you don't like not safe for work stuff, just close your eyes. <laughs> okay, so this is my not safe for work channel um, where people can talk to characters. Um, it's very, very basic right now. Um, but I hope to like make more specific bots so they actually like can hold like a conversation with the reader. But right now 
people put in one of my character's names and they call the bot and the bot comes back with a line from the book that that character has said. Um, and this is probably my most popular channel. <laughs> um, it's not, yeah, it, I, I don't go on Discord that much, but whenever I do jump on here, I have the most notifications in this channel. Um, but yeah, so that's the, the basic of my Discord. We have some social channels too, um, where people can recommend books, put some selfies, rant about stuff, um, or play music. And hopefully we'll, we'll jump into um, some role-playing games um, next year. Uh, I'll probably be implementing something like that. But does anyone have any questions before I like go into like how to build those like Discord bots? No? Okay. And this is gonna be really quick. Okay. Um, so this is the me bot. This is the bot that um, basically acts as my characters in the story. Um, so you can create a custom command um, and say, whenever somebody types in this command, which is like this symbol, um, as well as my character's name, um, we can have them add an action. So it's going to be in the, the bot is going to send a post to them in, where did I have that? Talk to the alpha section. Um, and they're gonna say random quote. And then you can add that action and then you can add other actions after that, um, that have like another random quote from that specific character. But hopefully um, I'm going to be moving away from this and actually using AI to be able to um, kind of bring those worlds to life and actually have an AI who's able to act as that character instead of me having to implement or input a bunch of random quotes into this so they can actually have a conversation with a reader as a character and they can, they can talk basically, but. So yeah, that's that. Um, the MeBot has a bunch of different things that I have actually not seen. Um, I haven't logged into it for a while. So we've added a bunch of new stuff that you can check out if you're interested in it. But those are my big, big things um, and tools I use to manage my community specifically, as well as some of my subscription stuff. So I'll stop sharing. Um, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, you could always email me or message me now, um, or later on about it. And I'll, I'll try to try to get back to you. You know, on the AI point, um, we is, there's so many interesting things there, but we can go down such a wrap. Is there an AI bot? Yeah. I knew someone was going to ask that. I, I'm on the I, same page as you, Monica. There are, um, yeah. but they're not very good. It's going to be my warning to you. Like at the moment, they utilize specific large language models um, like GPT-3 that don't have a lot of memory. So they can only store like 1500 words at once for context in a conversation. So if your character was to actually like 
if you were to actually get into a conversation with these things, they don't do an amazing job. A really famous one, I'll actually begin sharing my screen. Let me pull up the website real quickly because I do want to show people real life examples. Like I'm not, this is really out there is Replica. Again, this is not a promotion. I actually don't think it's that great. It's also problematic for many reasons. One is that people actually think Replica is their therapist, um, but they're not yeah. like a licensed therapist. So not a great person to call to if like you're in a crisis and harming yourself. People do that. So anyways, you know, that's not what we would be utilizing AI for. I really hope as authors, we just want to bring people closer into our worlds, which is really cool. Um, you can kind of see something like Replica. You can interact with it. Um, There's also, sorry, go ahead. And you can, there's a, what were you going to say, Amelia? Because I I can pull up any other examples. There's also, um, it's not officially out yet, but there's kind of like ripoffs of Google Lambda, I think it's called. Oh yeah, Lambda. So that news story, um, someone got fired for saying it was sentient there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But basically this came out a while ago and then they open sourced it recently that enables you to have conversations with chatbots. But something more interesting that's in the writing world, and this is, again, not something that I'm, um, I'm not telling everyone to go out and use this at all. Like, I want to be very careful about that. But I will show you something that's interesting. Hugh Howie invested in this. Um, and it's something that you could like live begin writing with. And there's actually writers I know already who have double or tripled their output using this. And that sounds, woo, so cool. But I actually think that underscores how important subscriptions are because we're getting into a world where we already knew, and I've done this myself, the book, the month model, I did that. I think it's great, it's great to be able to write fast, but if you get in, like that's your business, you do that forever. We're now entering a world where content won't just be ubiquitous and so much of it, but like really cheap to create and cheap in terms of time. So there's already writers using things like this to speed up their creation process. And I can see a future like very soon in the next three years where people are writing like books faster than I could ever imagine using this. So what this is to say that like AI chatbots, yay, cool application of AI. There's other applications of AI that are woo scary. And at least for me, <laughs> and I think we talked about a lot in our podcast. I don't want to turn this all into AI. It's still a lot of this in development. But I do want to say, like, this isn't um, as futuristic as it might sound. If you go on to Sudorite, it's free to use, or at least free to test out. You can see that, like, oh, this thing kind of works. I can even type in something now, like, um, I was walking to my house and found my brother dead on the doorstep. Maybe it's a first sense of a thriller novel or something. If I click rewrite it, um, like this, go. It just rewrote it for me. And this is what it rewrote. Ah, I mean, it's not terrible. And it can write new things for you too. So yeah, that's already here. <laughs> um, so just when talking about AI, there's lots of interesting things. I wanted to bring up two tools that are not AI related, um, that won't give us nightmares or ethical concerns, but I think are pretty interesting. So one of them is called Bonjourou. 
And it's an easy way to basically send videos. And if you like wanted to send your readers like a video of you saying like, hey, thank you so much for subscribing. This is a, like an easy way to send personalized video messages. So it's called Bonjourou. Um, and it, it's kind of, it's interesting. And I, I actually found this out from someone in our Facebook group. So that's how I discovered this. Um, Burb is something I discovered from a friend. Um, and this is a community management tool um, that helps you basically across platforms, be able to interact with your fans a bit easier. The whole thing of like signing into million dashboards, this tries to make that easier. Um, so yeah, that's Burb. And these are some things that can help out. And there's also another thing that just started and it's involving some really great people in the indie author community. Um, they're doing their next one in January, but it's the author tech summit and it's people coming on who like Ricardo from Reedsy, you have Mark Dawson formula here, plotter. A lot of people come on and talk about their tools and how to make the most of different technologies that are useful for authors. So you have like a whole thing on websites and direct sales, all these interesting things. Um, for January. And if you sign up on their email list, at least their fall session was free. Um, live, it was free. I think January might be free too. So something just totally free, interesting resource, people in this community putting on a great event. And I wanted to mention that because it's relevant to our conversation today. Uh, I don't think authors will ever be obsolete, Tabitha, ever. Um, like ever, um, that, yeah, it, it's just, it's just difficult because I think we are kind of witnessing a change that's happening, um, in the kind of technology world where people are using math to automate everything. And I think that's a bit dystopian. So I think a lot of people will choose not to be reading books from AI. And I think that we're going to have to ha be at least a little bit open about that. Um, although we might not have to, but at least Orna Ross and the good people at the Alliance of Independent Authors have ethical guidelines that authors should follow when using these things. Meaning if you do use AI software, let your readers know about it. In practice, I'm not sure this is really happening, but anyways, at the end of the day, storytellers are meant to provide meaning and belonging to their readers. And that cannot be fully automated. I also don't see AI just being able to write good books, like without yeah. any human input. You're going to have to put lots of human input into it. And one way to think about it is like research is automated, editing's automated, like to a huge extent already using tools like Grammarly, Google search. And if we were like writing today alongside like someone writing with a pen and paper or like a typewriter from like just a few decades ago, it's already a completely different world for writers. And I think that the internet can be very distracting, but does help us make better stories. AI will be very similar, but I do think it'll bring on new challenges just like the internet has. And it's kind of, yeah, I don't want to pretend to like foresee the future beyond that, but it's not going to take us out. Um, I also don't think it's going to take out illustrators either. I don't think cover designers are going to lose their jobs because of this. I don't think narrators are going to lose their job because of AI. I listen to AI uh, narration a lot because I put the PDFs for my classes into it and have it speak it out loud while I'm working out. And it's really horrible. Like they don't sound good at all. And I don't see them ever being able to sound nearly as well as our friend, Chris. So yeah, there's, <laughs> we're, we're good, right? I think 
these things make certain things easier. The biggest thing I see for authors is translation. I see it decreasing the cost of translation by maybe 60 to 70%. And that enabling authors to have more international expansion for our stories, which is a great time because ebook sales are rapidly increasing in Latin America, in many European markets, and also even Asia as well. And they all don't read in English. So those are opportunities for authors who are writing in English to translate their books. So it's, it's a mixed bag as always. Um, Can I make I know, a comment about yeah. this topic? Because I, I, I think it's a great one. Um, and this is going riffing off of your podcast episode on, on AI. Um, and I, I really resonated with the, uh, the comments about it being, and I just described this to a friend today, uh, mid journey, specifically the, the deep learning graphic interface through discord. I said, it's a, it's a bit like working with a drunk, um, co-artist, <laughs> uh, a collaborator and, and like 80% of the stuff you get is total junk but 20% could be gold. And while you could just use it as is, and, and there's plenty of usefulness for that, there's also the sense of, okay, but I can take the components. And for me, I have a graphic arts background. So I'm able to take the components and piece them together and do some Photoshop magic and actually create something that is really beautiful. And I don't know if I have permission to do this. So tell me if I don't, and that's fine, but I could show you, this is not public. Um, but it's a cover I just did using mid journey and 20 years of Photoshop experience to kind of illustrate how this all works together. Is that appropriate or, or not? I love it. Show us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to put it in the chat and this is, uh, this comes out November 15th. You can share so. your screen as well, if you're comfortable. Oh, well, whatever you think, uh, it's, it's not going to let me. Sh okay. I'm going to share my screen then. Is that okay? Yeah. Share your screen. Okay. <laughs> that way everyone at home can see it too, who's not here live because they okay. won't be able to see the chat. Okay, cool. Right on. All right, here we go. So this is the cover. Oh, wow. That's sick. Thank you. So, oh my gosh. So tweaked background, had to do some Photoshopping to get the layers right. Um, the characters needed some work and some shadow and highlights. The staff is a combination of three different staffs. The crossbow is a combination of four different crossbows. And the giant planet, kind of the moon to the upper left there, um, that is a separate image as well. But all of it generated with mid-journey, kind of the drunk co-pilot, and me course correcting and then implementing some helpful tips for it to, uh, to go by. So it's very... It's font envy. Yes. I, thank you, Dove. Um, I think it's a very, when it's done right, and this goes for anything in my mind, um, but how do I stop sharing and give it back to you? Stop sharing. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a powerful tool, whether it's finishing a sentence, reimagining a paragraph, creating content like that. Um, if it's collaborative, it's powerful. If it's, if it's lazy, it's destructive. I also think if it's lazy, it's just not very good. Like us actual humans are like, no, right. I've, I've used it before. And like, I don't have nearly like probably even 2% of the graphic design skills that you have. And I would never be able to come up with something even close to as pretty as that. Like I've tried doing things for fun before and they all turn out like trash because I'm not a visual artist, but I can see us as writers using things like the software I just showed everyone 
you know, maybe we could do that a little bit better. We know to tell a story and can maybe be helped along. Yeah, it, it's tricky. I, I think it, it plays into our larger conversation around subscription and tools. It's important to talk about that as much as there's tools that you can use to help your subscription, there's just these tools that are coming that are in the broader area of being an author that depending on your perspective on things may make having a subscription a bit more attractive. Um, at least for me, it does. But um, I think that's only because it to have the security of like having my own place in the internet feels a bit um, feels a bit better. But yeah, I, I want to um, let's pivot away from AI for everyone here because as much as I love it, like it's not it's like the like ninety it's like the eighty twenty rule and like you know the although you can spend eighty percent of your time talking about things like this, the twenty percent of things that are actually going to like make us all amazing authors do not lie in the new technology things, they lie in being great storytellers and great at building communities and understanding our readers. So I'd love to bring it back to that. And when it comes to the problems we face with our communities, ask people, what are you dealing with subscriptions? Exactly what we were talking about earlier. What problems are you having? We'd love to chat. We'd love to help you out, help each other out because I know I got my problems. Christopher, great quote. Rather than making the AI try to make everything all at once, have it create simple, concise ideas and then learn the skills or hire people to send them in beautiful ways. There's always going to be people involved. That's definitely maybe the reassuring and note. Thank you. Hey, by the way, I have to sign off. I feel bad. This has been really wonderfully enjoyable, um, but those four kids are calling. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for availing yourselves to us. I feel really, really privileged. Are you kidding? No, this is so much fun. I feel privileged to be able to have all of y'all here. That's like so wild. You guys are here on a Saturday. So I'm really grateful. And you have a great time with your family. Thank you. You too. Bye, Amelia. Bye, everybody. Bye. Heather says, I never know what to offer my subscribers. And my brain can only handle writing one story at a time. So I feel like I'm not offering people enough. I think that's a great question because I think it's an insecurity a lot of us will have slash I've had. Amelia, what would you say being someone who does a lot, like a lot of your business I know is through early access? Yeah, that's, I know I keep repeating it, <laughs> but that's honestly um, something I think is super um, underutilized in subscriptions is doing early access. And that can just be like one chapter. And then I think it's it's very important just to start small, like we were talking about earlier, um, and as you grow that like very small, like niche community that you have under your subscription, you can really branch out and figure out like, what else can you offer them? Like, what do they want? Because there's a difference between what you think they want and what they really want. And I, I've had to learn that over time. Like I was offering audiobooks and in one certain tier and nobody was like upping their pledge to be in that tier. And I was like, why? I just like had these like, really great like narrators narrate the story. Nobody wants to listen to it, but they don't want to listen to audiobooks. They rather read content. So it's really just figuring out what your readers want. And personally, I think that means starting small and trying to grow from there, um, which I understand. First of all, 40-ish subs is like a huge deal, Heather. I think that's, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Like big, big congrats there. And 
I know for you, because you mentioned that you are already making like six figures, that that's probably still like the beginnings. You want to take it a lot further in subscriptions, but it just shows that you already have tons of fans so far, not interactive pretty much at all. This, this is something I've seen because I'm assuming you're saying they're not interacting on your Patreon. Is that true? That they're not like commenting or liking posts because I've seen this in a lot of big subscriptions that a lot of times, like they'll have several hundred subscribers and there's not a lot of people liking their pictures or commenting anything they're posting on Patreon. They're liking their stories. I think that's partially due to Patreon itself. Like Patreon hasn't been like an amazing platform yeah. to have community on, which is why a lot of people actually have their community on discord. So, um, what, when are you releasing chapters, Heather? Yes. Okay. So at the end of the chapters, do you just like, do you just like basically copy and paste the chapter from like a Google docs into your Patreon and then just like, leave it at that. Do you ever like, um, add like an author note at the end that like basically like you're talking to the community and asking them questions about the story like what do you think is going to happen next ah uh, okay i think adding the author notes on patreon i'd be curious if that one simple change would make a difference i yeah i would i would try adding it and see because people are, are going to probably not comment if they're not um Oh, what's it called? I can't think of the word. Um, You're not telling them to comment. Yeah, no, that that's great. And I honestly, like Newsletter Ninja, I, I mentioned the book in the chat, but Newsletter Ninja on the topic earlier by Tammy Labreck is an amazing book all about building a newsletter as an author. And she regularly talks about how asking a question in your newsletter that feels authentic and that ties into your content if it gets people to respond, because that's how they will respond to you, you almost have to ask them to respond, then you will have a higher deliverability rate because you know they're having interactions, the email service providers like that, but it also cultivates relationships. So Heather pasted it into the body and Heather talked about file delivery. I think this is a conversation that we haven't really touched on today. And let's dive into it. File delivery slash, how are you sending, let's say you're serializing a chapter, like Chris was talking about earlier, 50 chapters in a book. How do you serialize that? How have you been doing that now, Amelia, with your subscription when you are serializing one of your books? Um, so if I'm on Patreon, I, I post it into the body of the text um, post, Patreon's text post. Um, and then I, from there, I create a master Google Doc, as you've seen, it, it's huge. Um, and I like copy and copy the link into that Google Doc so people and readers have an easier time in in my Patreon, um, but for for Wattpad, I, I don't I don't use BookFunnel unless I have the entire book ready. If the entire book's not ready, I don't put it on BookFunnel because it's too much. I hate going on BookFunnel and having to like up or download an EPUB from my computer and then uploading it to to BookFunnel when I can just like either send them a link to a PDF or just copy and paste it. It's for me, it's easier copy and paste. It takes like two seconds. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I want to mention uh, two interesting things. So um, BookFunnel itself, and you might be using this, Terry, does have an integration with Patreon, at least a subscription provider. So they do have that. 
And it's not like super ideal because it's still a little bit inconvenient for readers, but that is a thing. And um, if you are looking to send files, I know specifically with like steamy romance authors, you might literally not be able to post what you want to on Patreon. You just might not be able to, like they're going to take it down. That happens way more frequently than I think makes sense, but it happens. And because Patreon does that, another thing I've seen is people have gated uh, kind of sites like uh, or gated pages on their website um, that you enter in a password that you get as a patron and then be able to go in. Um, but we also, and we haven't launched yet, but I'll, I'll briefly just show everyone what we kind of worked on um, to make this uh, easier because we know it's really annoying having to schedule these things out. So first of all, on Ream, which is our subscription platform for authors, particularly for fiction authors that we're building, you actually have an e-reader, which is very useful. So your readers don't have to like go into a Google Doc and click between 50 posts. You can go chapter to chapter. But another interesting thing that we did was have the ability to have a publishing scheduler. And I'm purposely um, going through this quickly because I don't want to give a full demo now. Um, that, or yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Um, but if you go to our stories page and click edit here, um, on our publishing page, you can schedule out all the chapters you want here. So if you have like 25 or 50 chapters that you're scheduling, instead of making 50 separate posts, you've probably already uploaded them into the book. Um, that's if you're like scheduling ahead of time. A lot of people in subscriptions write ahead of time. If you're writing a chapter at a time and then releasing it then, then of course we can't like automate that because you're writing it one at a time, but then you'd be able to put it in and over many chapters you want to schedule at once, send out to your specific tiers, and then literally the story will just update from them in the app. So it won't be like they have to sideload anything. They'll just get a notification when they click into the book, the chapters that they haven't read will be there, including the old chapters that were also there. So um, that's our quick way around that. Um, but in terms of like solutions for now and you know, people who are using other description platforms in the future, whenever people are listening to this, because people might be asynchronous as well, um, BookFunnel is an option um, for that um, as well. And then gated websites or things I've seen. Does anyone else have any other solution that they've had? Because those are like the four big things I've seen. Like you just either make it work in Patreon, you send out with like a book funnel and do things like that, or you send out like a website link to a gated page. Does anyone else know of any other solution that they've been able to cobble together that's worked? I don't know if anyone else has one. That's just all I've seen. Sometimes if I have um, chapters that I know Patreon's going to hate me for, I just put it in a Google Doc, like a separate Google Doc, and give them the link. But yeah, I that's pretty much it. Yeah, I love it. And oh yeah, what Amelia said on launch is uh, definitely true. Uh, beta will be coming, and that'll, for all intents and purposes, be like live we're just not having it up for like everyone to use but anyone here who wants to be part of it um we we'd hope to have that out by the end of this year and audio i think um so we probably won't have audio in the beta launch but we it's definitely something we are going to add um next year i don't know if it will be at the official launch either but probably in the like months soon after yeah, that's something that is high priority for us, but we definitely, our initial target audience is readers and and, and fiction, like serial fiction, um, but we don't want to stop there. We want to keep enabling y'all to be able to build 
a business around your fandom. That's like our ultimate mission. Um, do you use TikTok to promote your subscription or point to your free funnel entry like um, Wattpad Inc. at all? And if so, how do you find that works with your readers? I have a lot to say in this, but I want to let Amelia go first because I don't personally do this, but I have a lot of experience with the land of TikTok. But I'll let you go first, Amelia. So, so this is actually a funny story. I, I created a TikTok specifically for my Wattpad um, and I was using it regularly, but then I was like, screw TikTok. I don't want to do this anymore. So I stopped it. But if you, um, I'll put my username in the chat and you can just like see the, there's like specific kinds of, um, uh, specific kinds of videos you have to do to get the Wattpad audience. Um, I don't promote my Patreon specifically. I promote the free content. Um, I think it's, this is my username. Um, so it's mostly like it's kind of like book flip videos, but it has different backgrounds. And there's some like um, POV videos, like POV, you're doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and then your best friend's father comes in and catches you. I don't know. Um, but stuff like that. And if you, if you want, I, I could talk to you after <laughs> if you want to chat about that more. Um, but that's what I found works really well um, for Wattpad specific videos if you're promoting. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. It's an awesome insight. I mean, I think um, short form video, because like I know TikTok's the platform we all talk about, but Instagram Reels people find a lot of success on. And then also YouTube Shorts is growing very quickly. So like short form video in general, just as like a medium to communicate online. I think it's very interesting. I, I think it's a good a good time right now. You know, when we look back like on the trajectory of like Facebook ads, it feels like seven years ago, it was a really good time to get in because it was undersaturated with books and it was relatively cheap. Right now, um, short form video, they're still all competing these platforms with each other to have good creators, to get all this watch time from users. So you don't even have to pay for discovery. You can get a lot of discovery for free. It is pretty competitive at this stage. There are a lot of authors there, but it's still a decent time. One thing I would say is like, definitely with all these things are like tactics. I would, unless you love TikTok, refrain from like making short form video, like a long-term pillar of your business, but it can be an amazing lever to pull on right now. Um, yeah, I refuse to use TikTok because I, I totally understand. I'm not a huge fan of TikTok either. Um, and yeah, definitely Facebook is much lower um, ROI nowadays with TikTok, I, I think the, there's a whole conversation we can have around content creation online, because no doubt, I think authors being able to create content to build a relationship with their audience is becoming more and more of an important thing. Here's a stat that YouTube found. It was that I believe it was 56, 57% of Gen Z watches short form content, whether it's a YouTube short or TikTok before they watch even a longer video a podcast or something like a book, like anything that's like longer form, they are discovering that and building trust to then spend their time on something longer through that kind of content, through short form content. So short form content is a great way to get discovered. But I think there's, there's a lot of tricky parts, like casino almost, right? It is like a video blurb, except you a lot of times, like if you're investing in building a real audience on TikTok, 
the toughest part about it, because it's like an ad, is that building a relationship with them, getting consistent views is very difficult. So building an actual audience that you have a relationship with on TikTok is is not easy. And a lot of authors have had kind of like one hit wonders, viral videos, and those could be huge, but it sometimes feels like in the author community, we're chasing viral videos and then all upset. We're only getting like a couple hundred views week after week after week and not getting any sales. And then it's like, well, would have it been better just to like, I don't know, do something else than that. That's an open question. So it's, it's interesting. SAS green is back. Awesome. Or wait, Oh, no. Okay. We had someone join and then they're gone now. Um, yeah. I have lots of thoughts on TikTok though um, in general. So if anyone has any like specific questions about the algorithm, about how to make use of it as an author, I don't want to like go off on a crazy tangent about TikTok, but short story is like, if you like making videos, definitely like it's a great way to right now promote yourself especially if you're tapped into the TikTok community. I think it'd be a great way to interact with readers. Awesome. I let him back in. And then I'll go. Yeah. Reels is funny. Um, Reels and YouTube shorts both don't have as good of algorithms, but it's, they're finicky, right? Like I know authors who've had videos blow up on Reels, the same exact video that didn't blow up on TikTok. So a lot of times it's worth posting to like both platforms it takes extra time and bandwidth, but to make them, to have your content go the extra mile, you can repurpose it elsewhere. And sometimes crazy things can happen. And yeah, it is like you're playing a slot machine. I don't like that. I don't like that about it, but it's also kind of fun if you can hit it. So I understand wanting to get as much shots as possible without having to spend like, you know, a million hours creating videos. I, I personally, when I was on TikTok, the things that like got views because I did it for like two weeks, like in 2021. And it was like a very short stint while I was traveling and I was able to get 2 million views um, in like a couple weeks. And I'll show you my account. Um, Cause I actually started posting last year, more bookish content and it didn't really work um, because my followers didn't care about me. And that was very depressing. Um, but let me, oh, I don't have it on my computer. Let me, let me just show you my phone. So my account here um, is this. So I have about 6,000 followers. And then you can see here, these are my recent videos. They don't have a lot of views on them. It's like a couple hundred there, if you can see. And they were all like bookish related to like what I was doing. And I had like gotten a lot of views on TikTok before and, and knew kind of how to play the, the game, so to speak. Um, but I, I found it was, it was pretty difficult for me to just make everything about books constantly. So knowing me, myself as a creator, as I like dive back into TikTok, I want to actually take the strategy of like being a TikTok or wherever platform I'm creating on, like a creator first there and like building an audience there and then pouring it over to my books, which is a different strategy than a lot of authors take. And I think that the strategy of like doing book talk is probably safer for most people. The 
the problem with book talk is that since it's a place for readers, a lot of times authors can get caught into like author talk without realizing it. And then you have a bunch of authors watching your videos and authors trying to see how you're making your videos and then try and sell their books. And it becomes very incestual. Whereas for me with the kind of content I create, I'm like, I can just create for people who are interested in science and technology because I write sci-fi thrillers. And from there, I know a, a certain percentage will convert to my books. But more importantly, I'm building my brand. And I can, if you build an audience there, you can make money from ads by having brands sponsor your content. I could then start a podcast. I can then funnel that into YouTube videos, all these other opportunities. So that funnels into like my larger creator world of me being more than like just having like books or like that being like the North star for me. So that's why like my TikTok strategy is different. If books are your North star, I think that like TikTok can sometimes be a distraction because it sometimes doesn't always help you sell them. So it, it's tough. Page flips, hooky videos. Yeah, I get that, Heather. And it's a great advertising mechanism. Um, it's definitely a great advertising mechanism. And as long as you're bringing your fans somewhere else, I think that that's great. I, I worry in the long run for people who are putting all their chips in TikTok now. I worry two or three years from now how that changes because I don't see TikTok's attention graph exploding exponentially, but the amount of people creating on it might. Which makes things tough. I'm happy to um, share with you though. Uh, I wrote like a very long, like 90 page document, technically like a chapter as part of a larger book, but it's all about uh, content creation for authors. There may be some things in there that are useful. And I think like 25 pages or so are just focused on TikTok um, because I, I think oh, it's wow. talk about. So if you're curious in reading that, um, I, I can send it to you. Um, I'd be happy to. And you can hopefully learn something um, from it. But yeah, that's my email. Yeah, email, email me. I'm happy to send it to you. Um, yeah, I, I think content creation is really important. Oh. Awesome. Cool. I'll, I'll take it down and send it to you. Great. Awesome. Well, we kind of are at time, but I'm going to hang around for a bit. So people like this, actually, we ended like much on a, a better note this time in terms of like an hour and a half. Great time hanging out. If y'all want to sit around and talk more, I'll probably be here for like another half hour or so. So I, I'd love to keep hanging out with you guys. But if you guys want to go back to writing, family, all the busy stuff we have to do, I totally understand, um, but we don't have anything else to, like present. Like you're not missing out on any subscription tools, anything special like that. We've had an amazing conversation and I think we'll continue talking about some interesting things and insights, but it's wherever y'all want to take it. Whatever problems you're having, whatever questions you have, whatever things you find interesting, this is our time and we have no set direction, but you're definitely not missing out on anything if you go now. Um, so I don't want people to feel pressured. Um, so yeah, that's it. Yeah, of course, everyone. How is everyone doing? Because like in the beginning, like I asked for like a little update and I think we got in presentation. But how's everyone doing? No problem at all. We love this. I have so much fun hanging out with you guys. I wish we could like do like, uh, I don't know, like uh, transport ourselves all into the same room and have like this fun conversation. Do you know a good way to share audio? Uh, not via YouTube, such as a private, via private podcast. Okay, I'll show you something. Um, so you're saying you want to share like an audio file, Isolin, with your 
readers, I want to actually get more info on what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, Hear me? Yes. Okay, because I'm on my computer and sometimes the sound is sketchy. Um, I want to, I had a podcast for two years and I have a lot of content that I could recycle, but, um, and I'm using Ko-Fi just because of the prices and because I don't expect to pick up new readers via Patreon. I don't, I don't see that happening. So, so I'm looking for a way that is easy to share audio files that um, without using YouTube and that's Ko-Fi's main link. Um, I might be able to do it through Google doc, through Google, but, um, and I found something last night called storyboard, but I was having trouble uploading my content. So I was just wondering if you had something that was good for sharing like long, you know, an hour long audio file, because that five minute clips are no big thing, but an hour. Oh, <laughs> what about yeah. um, book funnel? I've I think never book thought of that. BookFunnel has like an audio section, I believe now. That's an option. That would be a new thing. I'll, I'll check out BookFunnel. That might be a good way to do it. Yeah, I think I think BookFunnel is an answer. Um, I'm just looking at Storyboard now, which you sent me. Um, and I think that is an option that could work. If I can get it to work because it's free. It's and I can do something for weekly. And I did contact them today and ask them the size. And the size is pretty significant. I mean, I think it was a hundred, you know, um, something or other, which was bigger than my biggest file I was trying to upload. So, um, and I can trim things down to two, but you know, if it's an hour worth of content, I had been, I have met a lot of really great um, voice artists. And part of that collaboration that I've developed with them would be, hey, would you narrate this story? You could share it to your audience. I'm going to share it to my audience. And so I created this great, like, mini library of voices narrating some of my sexy bits out of stories. But if I can't reshare them, if I have to have a, the podcasting uh, platform I was on will let you set up a subscription, but it's all through them. So it's an extra extra hoop for people to sign up for and jump through. And and, and I don't necessarily want to have it open to the public. They do have a private option, but it's for corporations and it's more. It's like 40 bucks a month. And a lot of them are like that. Yeah. So I'm looking for a, and I can go through YouTube. You have to, you know, mess with the audio file a little bit, but the chance, I don't, YouTube is, is the censorship is just, it's risky. You yeah, know? I, I totally understand that. So I'd really rather try, the storyboard looks cool and I couldn't find anything in their terms of services about content. Um, But yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to work yet. They're new though, they're beta and that's probably why I've had problem uploading my file. So EJ mentioned Vimeo. Uh, I, Vimeo has a, a paid plan. Um thing is that Vimeo and both YouTube are really part of their their benefit is the video aspect of it. I don't need video at all. If I could have something that could open up on a podcasting platform, that would probably be, you know, or an audio MP3 platform rather than an MP4. Okay. Because I uh, want people to be able to listen to it on their phone within their. 
Yeah, no, I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I sent you an article from Riverside, which is, they don't actually do this themselves, but it's just like a, a blog post they did about private podcast explained. And they give a, quite a bit of options inside of it. Um, a few things that I think you could consider is using an RSS hosting provider that enables you to make a private podcast. There would be a monthly fee associated with it, but it wouldn't be $40 most likely. It would probably be closer to like 15 or 20. It's not like nothing. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I already pay, you know, a little bit is it's yeah, I get. And there might be, I was another question there. WordPress might have some kind of crazy plugin there. It's a possibility. Yeah. I've been looking at um, rebuilding my website and probably moving to WordPress just because of the, all the possibilities for integration. And that was a third question. Is Reem going to be able to be an easy hop, skip and a jump to something like a WordPress site? Or are you trying to build it out so that it is an author's home? That, uh, you have a lot of great questions. You've got a lot of great thing, thoughts came to my mind there. I want to first dive into WordPress, then I'll answer the question about Ream. So with WordPress, your strategy there would be making a password protected site. I've used WordPress for years. So I know a bit about it. Um, and I can't think of the exact plugin now, but there are a few, like, I think free plugins that you could just upload audio um, to your yeah. site. So I, I think in total it would be very low cost to do it through WordPress. Um, and you would just have to trust that your subscribers, your readers that you're giving the password to don't share it around. Um, that's how you would do it. Um, so I think that could really work um, on Ream. So yeah, first of all, we definitely want to make this whole audio thing easier. Like we're just not doing that at launch, but like we really want to be able to create the priority thing because Amelia is right. Some, some, some people aren't as excited about it as I am. Uh, I'm like, but there are, there are some, like a lot of my readers aren't excited about it, but there are readers, especially in the romance community who love audio. It's super important. I'm not quite clicking with which is weird. I'm like, hey, that's it's great. That is right. But anyways, yeah, um, I can wait for that. I'm really excited about Ream and having audio on Ream and all those capabilities is really going to be amazing. But Stephanie um, mentioned um, Substack, which they do. They do allow audio and video. They're meant for like they literally built their audio as more of like podcasting. Um, and, but I think you could gate that to subscribers. That would require you switching to, to them though. So that's it like, would. and Substack is such a closed environment for email. Um, I don't know if it would work for what I want to, to do the cost versus reaching new audience versus what I write. You know, I just, I don't know if they're quite the, the vein I want to do. I've looked at them and they do a lot. They do do fiction, but their big people are a lot of nonfiction and yeah. a lot of, yeah. And it's not, it's more, I, I just don't think, um, which isn't a problem. It's just that, uh, I don't think it's, it gives me the ability. I have, I would still have to farm out community. I would have to farm out interaction on the stories. I would have to farm out some of that feedback and, and family feel that I'm looking for. I I'm calling my, my co-fi 
you know, buy a cup of coffee, but I just went, I called it, it's a coffee and smut club. And so I redefined what coffee means. Coffee is like friendship and the smut is just the dirty parts that you can share and be real and not be ashamed about. So I don't, I want, I want that space to look like that. I want it to be people coming together over coffee and talking about the books that we love. And, and I just don't get that feel from substance. No. I actually have a question. Um, this is kind of aside from that. Is are the audios that you plan to do? Um, you said that they're part of a the podcast. Like Bye they could me. be part of your podcast, but also um, you have friends with like your friends with like narrators and stuff, right? Oh yes. So um, on Twitter, on North, not safe for work Twitter, um, I got involved in kind of this crossover community of the um, audio erotica community. Oh, and I got to, I'm all about that. I got Sorry. to interview many of them and make friends with many of them. And when they're starting out and you first meet them, they really, that is really the best time to get on because they are like, yeah. they're looking for content to narrate and they're so, looking for something different. And so I would write stuff for these voices, <laughs> you know? Are, yeah. Are you doing it? So like they're narrating or are they like voice acting and have like a script that they read and they're like talking to the reader? depends on the um there are different ways you can do it so the most of them when you're talking about audio erotica it is either um they do it improv or they do it to a script but it is usually first person however when i write it i write it for my characters and i'll do a character first person point of view narration which is like a big long monologue of my it's my character in that situation and I've just kind of been experimenting to see what readers think of that I wrote a story exclusively from the the um it's an alien captive interrogation story to see with this great voice um actor uh to see what readers and if they they if they like it they like it if they hate it they hate it there's no middle ground (laughs) but um it I I wrote it um so in the story that when you're writing it, it's a monologue. So you don't get her point of view. You don't get her voice yeah. until the second part when she narrates her point of view. It's not an audio drama. I have friends who do that too. That's just a little bit more cutting and pasting than I have the technology mm-hmm. for. <laughs> but so, um, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to recommend, I don't know if you're on... Um, I haven't used this app, so I I can't give like a a review of it. But there's an app called Quinn Q U I N N, and it has a lot of artists who are on Quinn. Yeah, yeah, has a lot of that kind of stuff in it. That's why I asked what what kind of like specific stuff you do. Yeah, yeah, and I people you know who will create they create the Quinn stuff, but um, I wanted I wanted to give voice to my characters. I wanted to. Yeah. The first time that it happened, I had been searching just for kind of a narrator, book reader, and I heard one of these guys start talking. I'm like, oh my gosh, he sounds exactly like that character in my head. Just perfect. And he could growl and I got shivers and I was so excited. (laughs) But then they're so good that I can't, I have to, I'm weird. I have to ship out the content. I'm in a relationship. I cannot be listening to these people talk about sex (laughs) in my ear. I just need to know. So I'll let my readers beta test it because sometimes it's really, you know, you hear your book boyfriend talking to, to you and it makes me a little bit oh. <laughs> flustered. I know. 
Yeah, yeah, a little bit flustering. So, but, um, and it's been, I love promoting them when they're first starting out and getting them more content for what they create. It's been a great relationship. So it's stuff that I still, if I can find, if I have readers that like it, it's stuff I want to share. Love that. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been looking for a way. I had a podcast and on the podcast, I interviewed a bunch of people. So I have interviews so that cool. I can repurpose. Um, and I have conversations that I can repurpose. And then I have these readings that I could repurpose. I started every time I'd invite an author on, I would ask them to bring something to read. I started realizing that, hey, that's a great thing. People enjoy that. So um, I have clips from authors reading their work. And I really, um, I don't have time to continue doing the podcast, but I, I don't want this content to just, you know, it's two years worth of content. Yeah. I want to keep sharing it. <laughs> Each was on my podcast, so oh, that's so cool. I I think, I mean, my my view is that I think going through WordPress may be your best bet. Um, it might take a little bit of time to again set up the plugins and things like that, but um, it'll give you greater portability between platforms. It will give you a space that you when your readers come there, they really feel like they're listening to your thing. I, and like they're in your world and, and for us with Ream, how, how we think about like a WordPress or author's sites is we right now are focusing on building like a central platform for this. And why, why we're doing that really is because we want to build trust in us as in readers and the ability for readers to have a really nice e-reader to go back to things like the simple things a lot of readers expect that aren't on other subscription platforms, we kind of wanted to build out and kind of centralize that in the beginning um, and figure out what we can do to make things better. Another thing is that our real second big priority is going to be moving into discovery. We want to help authors actually find more readers on our platform, but we also know that like getting someone just to subscribe to you cold isn't really how things work. It's why Patreons, even if readers were searching for authors on Patreon, which they don't because it's a terrible search engine, the fact that everything's gated on Patreon makes it a very tough experience for just a cold reader to come into. So we have yeah. a lot of ideas about how we want to do that, but I've had just to my newsletter has been like, do you need a crowbar? I mean, what do you need to, you say you like my writing, you've clicked through everything, but you won't sign up for the newsletter. I don't need you. the old Jewish ladies coming out. Um, That's so the, funny. Get, getting people off of the, um, they like to stay in there. It's Facebook, right? We'll complain about Facebook all day long, but oh, good Lord, don't make me learn something new. I'll just be smaller and my voice can be smaller and smaller and smaller. And I won't even, I won't even be able to say, you know, I hate vampires anymore on Facebook because it's violent. Um, but, um, you know, uh, but I'm going to stay here because I know it. Yeah. No, that's super tough. I mean, this is something that um, I see with authors who are actually starting subscriptions. Like, you know, there's certain platforms that like, I, I mean, Patreon really is like the platform that people know for subscriptions. So if you go to another platform, like Ko-Fi, like you're using like also readers. Oh do yeah, play. I have to explain it every time I say it. <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't even click on it. And then people but are just- never heard of it before, so- and they're just less likely to convert. And, and still, even then, like 
I don't know how much readers like love Patreon itself. So that, that's in the sense of like, it does feel confusing and messy to people we talk to and to myself and Amelia as well. So, I mean, ultimately like that's one easy thing that we will solve from day one, which is like, yeah, this is a place for readers. And like, you know, it's branded that way. There's going to be a bunch of authors on there that like are there and people can be like, oh, like this is just a place for fiction. It's not like, you know, some like political theorist on Substack. So I think, I think though, when it comes to discovery, because that really is important to us, um, it, it, it's less about addicting someone to our platform, but more about how can we enable the author to create their own trust with the reader so that, yeah. that they're trusting you because an Amazon, ultimately the relationship you're building with is Amazon. Right. Um, and we'd like to give creators the tools to leverage the trust they built with their audience to one, create more trust, but then also help support other creators. Like I said, with bookstores, like setting up their own digital bookstores, that's something that like you just couldn't do because it's very difficult, but um, literally because of the, from the content perspective. Um, but that's something yeah. that we'll be able to help solve. And of course we are building trust in ourselves as a platform as well, but we're not attempting to be like, like we, we want to help authors build a, a, a fandom. Like that's, that's our yeah. goal. So that, that means that what we do looks different. Like we don't, we won't look anything like Amazon. Like there, there's nothing like them, nothing like Facebook, even though like maybe some of the features end up being somewhat similar. Maybe you can buy a book mm -hmm. here. You can communicate with your readers here, but it'll be completely different because all those platforms, no one really loves anyway. It's just familiar. But I think when yeah. something's actually made for an artist, a storyteller, it's, it's a bit different. But yeah, on the website point, I think we, we want to support that too. Um, and we, we don't have most of the answers. If I could make read my website, I would. I think a lot of authors are like, why do I have to have a website most of the time? So, you know, it's not, I don't know any, a lot of, you know, because you make one and you make it beautiful and you invest in it and you get what, 10 visits a week, you know, yeah. it's not this, unless you're selling books and have a store there anyways. Um, I just, I don't see a lot of benefit for the website. It's just being able to, um, it's another getting and getting the, when I started blogging in 2000, blogs were the thing and you would hoppy and hop and visit and go to websites and stuff. Yeah. It is not that way anymore. No. You don't go to a website unless you search for, you know, and then you forget where it is and, you know, it's just not the same. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, if 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 Reem could be my website, I wouldn't have. But that's that's building it out quite a bit. So yeah, maybe ten years down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, that would be great one day. Um, but I I don't want to have anyone thinking that uh, when we launch soon that they're gonna that that'll yeah, actually no. serve that purpose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ways to go. But um, no, that's what we're we're focused on. Um, that, that is, that's good to know. That's good to, as long as there's some compatibility there, because yeah, I'm gonna, um, I've, uh, uh, it all comes down to money. And, and for me on this end, the business end is money and value. And am I getting the connection with the readers that I want for the time, money and value, you know, that I'm, that I'm doing and the website I have is beautiful, but it doesn't, it just is out there floating free and, you know, <laughs> 
I can do all the CSS stuff, but what is that going to do? You know, not really much. So people yeah. just don't search for books that way. You don't go to Google to look for books. You go to Amazon and then Amazon yeah. ports all the information. So that's really cool. Thank you guys. I don't want, I don't mean to monopolize your time. Thank you for answering all my questions. Appreciate cool. it. Answer your questions. There's no monopoly. We'll answer your questions anytime. Amazon's the monopoly, right? Um, yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you don't, you are not the monopoly. Don't worry about it. Um, does anyone else have any questions about uh, anything, subscriptions, author related, anything on their minds, anything? I just have to go. Um, but it was good chatting with everyone. I'll Bye, see you Julia. next month. Yes. All right, see you. Bye. We'll see everyone in the Facebook group, like much more like before that. I I feel like we're all always in there, or at least I feel like I'm always in there. Um, but it's so much fun. So I, I I'm very happy about it. But um yeah, I I I definitely I feel like every week there's like so much things that like I learn just about all of this that I'm like it's like overwhelming. And I, I'm just curious if there's anything interesting that someone's learned this week that they would want to share. What no did I learn? I always learn something. Go ahead, I'll get off. Um, I was just going to say, I don't know if people have been looking at Pia. I think it's, I'm not going to pronounce her name correctly. Avenari? Yes, thank you. Um, her post and how she structures her subscription service because it is uh, it, it was completely different to me she's really done a great job of divorcing um uh payment from content in a way that i had not even thought about going into this she is looking for patronage and people come and support her and she's actually got a, a lot surprising number of of patrons um who are paying her a surprising amount of money uh, for for not getting any exclusive content. Most of her, 99% of her content is free. Um, and, and that was a really, it was absolutely eye-opening. I don't know if anybody else was like reading through her threads on Chris Hopper's posts or not, but I was absolutely blown away by her structure. I was blown away as well. I think I, because I have known Pia for a, a while through the group, um, but like, you know, I don't know the insides and outs of like anyone's business, like fully, I don't even know the inside and outs of my own. Um, but when she was talking about this, I was like, oh my God, it's incredible. And I'm like, we have to have you on the podcast, but um, to like sum it up, um, she said she did this in response. Chris Hopper made a post um, where he was curious about do authors offer an exclusive subscribers only weekly serial and at which price point? Um, the interview with Chatfield really got me thinking about it as a viable model, not just for early access swag, but as a true product revenue stream to anchor an ecosystem. So that that is the question here. And her response was was honestly fantastic. I'm going to share my screen so that um, we can all see it. But perfect. Um, so she said, uh, right down here. I've never gone fully exclusive before, um, but she wouldn't offer that below $10 a month. So that's, that's great. Um, so that, that's what her initial response is. But then she starts talking, getting into the juicy stuff, right? So I have to balance that against the general income I make through all my other Patreon tiers and the knowledge that I won't 
ever be making any future income off it through book releases. So she's really thinking about it systematically, right? Like if I'm going to offer exclusive content, what does exclusive really mean? Like our IP is so valuable. If you make your IP exclusive to a specific audience, that is, that's tough. That, that, that makes things difficult. One way I think about it when she was writing this, I'm immediately thinking about like, right, that's why Disney wants their characters to reach as much people as possible, but they'll make their theme park as exclusive as possible. So you almost have to think about like what's going to be in your theme park. And for Disney, they're not releasing an exclusive movie in their theme park. Like that, that butter, that bread and butter of their IP is being released and promoted to as many people as possible. So I think Pia is really thinking about like, well, if I was to do that, I would have to be paid a lot. So in the case of full exclusivity, I'd be working out what I expect to make from an ebook release over its lifetime and hoping to make at least that much from going exclusive, which like, if you think about that much, like that's wild, like 30K in its lifetime, which 30K in a lifetime sounds like a lot, but like over 50 years, if a book is out, could that make a thousand dollars a year? It's not going to change anyone's life, but that is a significant amount of money. And if you're making exclusive, I mean, it would have to make $50,000 as you're making that. That's that economics don't work out that well there. They really don't. Um, so she says, if you expect a book to make 30 cans lifetime and it's 20 chapters long, you have to have 100 people in that tier and need to still charge them $15 per chapter, not per month, per chapter. So how she's breaking this down, super useful. Um, and so right now she's not interested in going fully exclusive um, is, is basically that, but it, it keeps going because she has more incredible insights. And she says that the people who I've, who I follow who release books on Patreon chapter by chapter, like a serial, then go on to release it as a book and in the exchange, I get a free copy. I think that exchange is more than worth it. Even if I'm paying way more than someone might pay for the ebook, I love her writing and want as much as I can get as early as I can get it. Likewise, I follow serial webcomic artists on Patreon at around $7 to $15 for their webcomics, even though the compiled finished volume will only cost around $20. And that pangs in like $150 for the year. It's all relative. I think it's worth it. And I love that it gets delivered straight to my email inbox. It's low effort, but I do have to buy that physically printed volume if I want it. Don't get me wrong. I think a Patreon-only avenue is viable, especially if it's just one branch of what you're doing. A good example of this is Shannon, uh, or Shannon, Shannon, I think, McGuire. Is anyone, everyone familiar with that Patreon? Shannon makes like $14,000 per short story. I think that's, that's, that's a viable model. Um, short stories are kind of like in themselves, very hard to just release out onto the market and make money from. It's very difficult. You can bundle short stories together, but even then, like rarely do anthologies sell that well. So Shannon McGuire said, okay, I'm going to write my novels, but I also want to monetize my short stories. And they literally make 14 grand per short story, which is incredible. So this is something that a lot of authors do as well. Amelia has see me one shots. You EJ do with a bunch of awesome authors, the wheel of smut. And that is, correct me if I'm wrong, exclusive content for a period or is exclusive for lifetime? How does the wheel of smut work? So everyone knows. Uh, the steamy one shots they're called i know wheel of smut has sort of become a catch-on but um you can actually get lost in the wheel of smut because that's not where we're branded anywhere um but uh. it's 30 days exclusivity and so after that 30-day exclusivity period ends, we don't promise anything 
authors are doing lots of different things with theirs. I'm compiling mine into a book of short stories that will be released as an ebook in the normal platforms. Others are taking the stories and expanding them into longer works. Um, some people are considering an anthology. So there, there are a lot of different avenues that we're taking them down. And all we are promising patrons is they get them 30 days in advance. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's it. I think that's like really what Pia's kind of diving into. Um, and she says like, even here to like enunciate that point, I think $15 is great. Everything works at different price points. I have $25 level with zero swag, for example. And a lot of people start putting physical rewards then. So, I mean, this is of course how she runs her subscription, but she's has a tier where people pay her $300 a year paraded out. And they're getting like, essentially just early access to her stories, which is great. That's valuable, but you don't have to like throw in the house for that, even though we feel like we do. And just for like people who like might not know, like, does she have like one person? Like what's her credibility here? Pia has done very well in her subscription, $819 per chapter, 145 patrons. That is some serious stuff. The other interesting thing to know about hers is that she only added the two high tiers very recently and has very few subscribers in those. It, she Those two top tiers, she just added them. So she got those 150 people at that amount of money on the lower tiers. Yeah. Yeah, which is awesome because now she can foster relationships more and potentially get them to go to the higher tiers. That would be cool for her. I'd be super curious to see how that pro process goes, but she's grown a lot. Like just in like the last six months, like it's been really cool to see, like she's definitely had some really good months and well-deserved because she's super talented, but yeah, I mean, it's just wild. Like there's so many different ways to do this and it, it flips the kind of mindset that I think we've all been taught as authors completely on its head. That's super cool. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. I I thought there, there was a lot of stuff in the Facebook group specifically that I was looking at this week, but there was also something that caught my attention that I, I mentioned like on the podcast, but I want to mention it here because like, I think it's so fascinating. So there's this thing called Trigger Cities um, and Spotify did a report on it, but I thought it's like super interesting when thinking about for books, like just like experimentally. So Basically, they found that like the Spotify algorithm, if you like go viral in these specific cities, is more likely to like lead to like a global hit. So you basically like the game would be, how do I like go viral instead of like worldwide, gain an audience in like a specific city? Um, so Latin America has a lot of these cities. Um, there's ten cities on it. Um, the list, um, I believe, it's like. Bangkok's one, Mexico City. None of them are like New York or Paris. Not the cities that you'd think, like these like Western global cities. Yet they're like Western songs are like becoming popular from like English speaking artists a lot of times. That like first let's get popular in Mexico City, then we'll blow up globally. I thought super interesting for books because I'm like, there has to be like trigger cities for like books or trigger events. And I think sometimes in our promotion, we we think about like reaching like a community of readers that might just exist in disparate locations, like an ideal reader profile. But I'm like, they literally might be in like a single city. Like what if that was true? Um, and then it would just spread from there through word of mouth. It sounds like kind of like pie in the sky, 
but it kind of makes sense to me. Like if you have, I think romance is an interesting genre for this because like a lot of times they're set in specific cities. You have a series that's set in maybe like a small Southern town or whatever. And maybe a small Southern town might not be big enough to have this effect. But if it was in a place like Atlanta, you get a bunch of readers in Atlanta, that can spread. And then it's like, well, how, instead of marketing to the whole world, let me just market to Atlanta first. And that changes the game. Like immediately you're thinking like, okay, well, I guess like I can go and like do what author Z Knight did, which like she, she has a bookmobile, which I found fascinating. And she literally bikes around selling books, which like is extreme. I don't think everyone should do that. But it just got me thinking about different ways to think about starting your career. I, I think that offers some really interesting opportunities as well, because if you were thinking as a relatively young author about where you wanted to go to book signings, for example, and you could gather data about where your books sell really well or where your super fans are clustered, you could focus your book signings in those cities or those regions. Um, I know from gathering uh, uh, addresses from the top three tiers of my own Patreon that I have um, clustered readers. I have a cluster in Pennsylvania and I have a cluster in Ohio. Oh, and cool. by putting them together in a Facebook chat, they figured out where they are and they're now planning on a Christmas party um, sort of halfway between them and are talking about kidnapping me and bringing me over, which I'm not in favor of. But, um, <laughs> you know, I thought that was hilarious that we've realized that they that that seven of them live in a hundred mile radius of each other and are going to get together and do stuff. So that that I think that's that data is incredibly valuable and really interesting. If I was going to do a signing, I would do it there so that they could come and and you know be my super fans at the signing absolutely wow that that is so cool i love that you're seeing that in real time this reminds me of something i actually like learned in, in class uh taking a class like called science fiction so it's like, on science fiction it's super fun and we were learning about like kind of like the birth of like modern fandom a lot of it came from sci-fi magazines and literally like the people who like loved and read these magazines would find each other like through the mail and send these letters back and forth and build relationships and friendships together. And then there was a period where they all migrated to New York city. They started a society called the future in society. Um, many of the popular science fiction authors like Isaac Asimov that we read today were from that. Then they like coined this term called a golden age sci-fi became pretty misogynistic. Um, and you know, now we have, uh, modern sci-fi, maybe slash, maybe not correcting for some of those things. But anyways, um, I, I thought it was super interesting that like fandom culture literally led to not only new relationships, but like the future of the genre. And like, that's like literally like our readers will be the writers of tomorrow. Like not all of them, but some of them will. They're going to be like people who are taking our stories into action and making their lives look differently. So of course they want to connect with the people who are doing that. Um, and it seems like really crazy to think about like our stories having that power, but I think it, it's definitely very common for people now to have friends that they've only ever met on the internet. Like I have that. I feel that way about all of y'all. Imagine if you're able to bring them together in person. That's just, yeah, I think there's definitely something to it. I love it. I love it. Well, I think 
I think this will conclude our fireside chat for today. We'll be back next month. And we're always around in the group. And any of y'all can always DM or email or post anything in the group about anything. And we'll, we'll definitely do everything we can to help. And we also are always open to um, chatting separately with people as well. We, we make time for that too. So it's not just like we have this one monthly call. But thank you so much for being here, everyone. I'll send out the recording tomorrow. So if you guys want to rewatch this. And yeah, I hope you have an amazing weekend. And I know I mentioned this in the beginning, but if anyone was affected by the hurricane or anyone has family affected by the hurricane, I hope everyone's safe and doing okay. Bye, everyone.